Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Hi, this is Colin. This episode comes from almost exactly five years ago. and We don't usually dig that deep into our vaults to dust something off. And our reason for doing it this time is that it was an episode, first of all, it was one of my favorite episodes, but it was an episode about redheaded people, about gingers, as we seem to be calling them more and more often. And I thought at the time that gingers were kind of unusual in the sense that people felt like it was kind of okay to either be casually dismissive of them or just kind of write them off somehow or make fun of them. You know, Ed Sheeran. Obviously, things have changed. The big change is a guy named Harry. So in honor of Harry, here's our episode about redheads or gingers. This is a show about redheaded people, um, sometimes known as gingers, although we're going to discuss whether or not that's an appropriate thing uh, to call them. I mean, in a weird ta- way, we're living we're living on their planet. I mean, we're living on the planet of Ed Sheeran. Ed, you can't go anywhere in the world without seeing like a street musician with a guitar singing an Ed Sheeran song. And then there's Prince Harry, who right now is you know, by far the most interesting royal. And, and then there's who's the most beautiful woman in the world? Well, I mean, Nicole Kidman's got to be, you know, somewhere on that list and maybe at the top of some people's list. And then you've got Christina Hendricks, too. And you can keep going. And I was even thinking that for all the popularity of Game of Thrones, there is only one line from all those seasons of Game of Thrones that anybody remembers that has become a meme that has become the kind of meme that gets twisted around and applied to other situations. One line from the entire series that people say a lot outside the context of the series. And of course, we know what that line is. You know nothing, Jon Snow. You know nothing, Jon Snow. I know your people are brave. No one denies that. You know nothing, Six times. You know nothing, Jon Snow. And that line, of course, is spoken by a redheaded character. So it's kind of like, you know, we're living in a very positive age for redheaded people. Igrid, I should say, is the character who says that line, sort of a crypto Viking on the show. And we live in, there are a lot of positive depictions of redheaded people, but I also do see that. I see that thing, like they're a minority that's kind of okay to pick on in certain ways. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit. I wanted to do a show about all those things, about the redheaded people among us. And to do that, we have assembled some terrific guests, the people who wrote the book, so to speak. Aaron LaRosa, former writer for BuzzFeed, creator of the blog Side of Ginger, and the author of The Big Redheaded Book, Inside the Secret Society of Red Hair, uh, is joining us by phone. By Skype, we're being joined by Jackie Collins Harvey, writer, editor, and author of the book Red, A History of of the redhead. So, Aaron, I'm going to start with you and just ask you um, one of the shows that, one of the podcasts that I really love is the Slate Culture Gab Fest. And they were talking in kind of a negative way about Ed Sheeran. 
And so then on their Facebook page, there were a lot of people calling them out because they I guess I should make this more specific. Uh, two of the women on the show, especially Julia Turner, was sort of saying that that she just didn't really want to hear Ed Sheeran talk about pressing his body up against hers or whatever he says in The Shape of You. And and so on their Facebook page, people saw that as as gingerphobic. They saw that as a way of saying that Ed Sheeran was not physically appealing and they extrapolated from there to the fact that he, because he has red hair and he kind of fits the stereotype of the ginger. And it got me thinking because there, there is sort of a thing, there's a way that people talk about people with red hair. I don't know, what, what did you make of all that? I, I'm sure you know, it's not the first time you've heard something like that. Right, and you'd be surprised. Like a lot of people, I obviously have red hair, and a lot of people will talk to me about what they're attracted to, and the number of times that I've had friends say offhanded things like, "Well, I'm just not attracted to redheads," or, you know, like I I don't find red-haired men attractive, and they kind of feel okay telling me that. Um, which you know, how does that make me feel <laughs> as a redhead? Um, and as someone who might have red-haired children someday. Um, so I think it has a lot to do with the stereotypes that surround redheads and, and sort of the history of how redheads have been treated. I think it's particularly bad for red-haired men. Um, red-haired women obviously have their own issues, but for whatever reason, um, it's, been, it's been hard for men to bridge that gap. I do agree, like you said, it's getting better because there are people like Ed Sheeran and Prince Harry and Donald Gleason and all of these really great men who are kind of front and center right now and are really attractive and kind of letting people know, like, hey, we're here and it's okay to like us now. Um, but, you know, when my brother was growing up and, and he's a redhead, he really didn't have any male red-haired role models or leading men who – you know, could he could point to and say like, well, that's my, that's who I look up to. That's that's who I'm like. And I, I do think that pop culture informs so much of what we're attracted to and what we think is acceptable. Right. And Donald Gleason, unfortunately, has joined the Empire, which probably wasn't a good move uh, for the for redheaded <laughs> He's people. He's definitely feeding into that evil red hair. <laughs> exactly. Which we'll so. come to in a second. But you know, I, I want to just tease that apart a little bit, Aaron. Do you think I, I was I was trying to analyze the kind of offhandedness of some of this kind of, I mean, you just wouldn't talk that way about certain other kinds of minorities. And is it, right. is the built-in assumption, well, you're basically part of the ruling class anyway. You're white. If you're a redheaded male, you're a white male, which is in terms of privilege and stuff like that, you know, that's the top of the heap. So why do I have to worry about any of your other sensibilities? Is that kind of built into this, this question? You know, I, I think that's definitely part of it. I think the other part is that people see hair color as sort of fluid. You know, it's something that you can change if you want to, like you could dye your hair, for example. But I do think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's a hair color and not a skin color. And it's not, um, you know, a gender or a sexuality. It's something that, that everyone has and, and can change. And I think that's a maybe a bigger part of it for me. I also think it's important to note that, you know, I think people have this stereotype or this this idea that all redheads are like blue-eyed and fair-skinned, and, mm -hmm. and that's also not the case. Redheads come in, in every race, and red hair didn't originate in Scotland or Ireland, as, as a lot of people probably think it did. So, you know, I don't know. I, I personally think it's probably more to do with the fact that, that it's just a hair color 
but it is something we're born with and it's something that says a lot about us. So it, I, I think it, it just gets kind of muddled in there. Right. So uh, now's the time to bring in Jackie because Jackie, it, it, on the one hand, is just a hair color, but you write that it is the single most significant characteristic of your life. Explain why that is. Very simply, because that's how the rest of the world makes it, really. That's how the rest of the world defines you if you're a redhead. As a redhead, you will always be pointed out as the redhead. You'll always be seen as being slightly different. You'll always be expected to conform with these various stereotypes that go along with being a redhead. I do. Th- I hadn't heard the slate about Ed Sheeran before, and I found it very, very interesting. I mean, Slate do have this slightly shock jockey thing they do. But I grew up in Suffolk like Ed Sheeran. I went to a small village school like Ed Sheeran. I didn't have to deal with having a stutter or glasses or being deaf in one ear as a child as he had to. So I imagine that, you know, after that, he can probably take just about anything that Slate is likely to say about him. But it is intriguing, as you say, exactly so. You, you have this, uh, this one detail that people pick upon. And because they're used to seeing it as going with white skin, any kind of discrimination against red hair kind of sneaks in under the radar in a very intriguing way. Yeah. And Jackie, could I ask you, I mean, I'll ask both of you this, but... Um... So it is basically just a hair color when you get right down to it. And and as Aaron points out, it doesn't even necessarily map perfectly onto white skin. Um, No, by no means. So red hair originated in the Middle East. So so Jackie, if you didn't want to be the object of prejudice or various false assumptions, you could just dye your hair some other color. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, you could do that. And in fact, I did do it. When I was a teenager, I had my hair shorn off to about an inch long all over and peroxide blonde. And as soon as I had had it done, as soon as I walked out of a hairdresser's, I thought this is a terrible mistake. Because as a redhead, you start to get used to having a particular degree of attention, particularly as a woman, Mm -hmm. that is focused on you as a redhead. And if your hair isn't red, you lose that. And I felt I had really lost some essential part of my personality and my sense of myself in having changed the color of my hair. And there is, of course, you know, a wider argument. Why should you change this one characteristic about yourself if you're not the person who has the problem with it? If the problem is all coming at you from outside, as it were. Right. So, Aaron, this is all making me think of a song from back in the 1960s by David Crosby. He sang a song called Almost Cut My Hair. And it was back in the 60s. You could a man with long hair could be denied employment or kicked off a bus or whatever. I mean, my cousin was literally kicked off public transportation because he had long hair. Almost cut my hair. Happened just the other day. It's getting kind of long. I could have said it wasn't in my way.
he sings that song and he says, but I'm not giving in. So I would assume that, you know, if you're, if you have a certain pride about all this, that's, that's the other reason, and, and, and Jackie has already alluded to it, that you wouldn't dye your hair just to get out from under all these weird assumptions. Yeah, and you know, um, my brother actually similarly dyed his hair blonde when he was in high school. He was going through a, a different level of bullying than I was. For me, um, I, I never changed my hair because I, even when I was bullied and people teased me, you know, about my hair in various cruel ways, which I can tell you about if you're interested, um, I felt like, and maybe it, maybe it's part of being a redhead, but I felt like keeping my hair red was a statement that, you know, even though I was being made fun of for it, I wanted to keep it. Maybe that's part of that fiery stereotype we have going on for us. But um, it meant more to me to to not change my hair and to be who I was than to pretend that I was something else, which is essentially what you're, you know, asking people to do by dyeing their hair or cutting their hair or changing how they are. Um, Aaron, um, when we talk about bullying, I mean, there actually is such a thing as kick a ginger day? That is correct. So um, I write about this in my book. Uh, There was an episode of South Park called Gingervitis. (laughs) And um, the whole episode, and and by the way, like I'm a big South Park fan, so I was kind of excited that the redheads were a topic on the show. Right. And actually, um, actually, before you finish that thought, just so people don't think that we're making this up, uh, here's a little bit of it. Hello there, kids. We came to learn the facts about people with red hair, light skin, and freckles. Oh, gingers, yes. Our cute little red-haired rascals. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't understand. You both have dark hair and brown eyes. Yes, we've learned that the ginger gene is recessive in both our family's DNA. Actually, the odds of us having a red-haired, freckled child were only one in four. <laughs> and still it happened. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> A lot of people carry the ginger gene and don't know. If your spouse is also a carrier, then your children can turn out like them. Each one of them's a blessing. Oh, yes, each one of them's a blessing. A blessed blessing for the love. Thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> All right, so, Aaron, uh, you, now you can continue your story. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the, um, the gingivitis episode came out, and, um, you know, personally, when I was watching it, I went from laughing at moments like that to really cringing because the episode itself um, really portrays redheads in a super negative light. And usually what South Park is great at is they can be very tongue-in-cheek about things, but Mm -hmm. this kind of felt like it crossed a weird line where it was just bashing relentlessly. So um, after that episode aired in 2008, there was a 14-year-old boy in Canada who launched a Facebook page called Kick a Ginger. He was inspired by the episode. Um, and there were about 5,000 members initially who were told to, you know, just inflict violence on redheads. So there was actually a quote on the page that said, get them steel toes ready. Um, so on November 20th of that year, the members in that group carried out that message. And, you know, there was a boy in British Columbia, he was 13 years old. He reported being assaulted 80 times that day, um, There were also 20 students who were suspended from another middle school for participating in the holiday. Um, And, you know, the the page itself says that it's a joke and shouldn't be taken seriously. But when you look um, back at what the page is actually encouraging its members to do, it really was telling people, like, inflict violence on redheads. And um, so, yeah, that that holiday still persists today. So... 
so, 10 years later. Yeah, that's just, first of all, insane and sick and stupid. And um, and, and I think probably does miss the point of the South Park episode. And, and we should add there's um, a, a, also a disturbing video by, by MIA uh, for the right. song Born Free. But it's sort of clear there, Aaron, that what they're talking about is the arbitrariness of prejudice. You just pick out something, you know, and, and then you make it the target. And it doesn't really, once again, correlate very well with much of anything, but it's just somebody different. Right. Colin, I if think, I could... Yeah, yeah, jump in, Jackie. Go ahead, sure. If I could just jump in there, there has been some pushback. In fact, there was pushback almost immediately against Kicker Ginger Day from a red-headed Canadian comedian called Derek Forgey, who started Kiss a Ginger Day, which we've all just celebrated on January the 12th. <laughs> and it is, I mean, I love South Park, and I think that particular episode is a, you know, the problem with it is, don't show sophisticated satires on the stupidity of discrimination to the stupid. This is the thing, <laughs> because the people who should take most note of this kind of thing are always the ones who take it completely seriously. But I, it is, uh, it's something that, you know, the redheaded community, and there is a real redheaded community out there internationally, very much took notice of and still pushes back against every single year. So um, I want to talk to both of you about, I mean, what, what are, what, what is the folklore? Uh, Aaron, I'll start with you, but I want to hear from both of you. What's, I mean, I feel like re- reading your book and reading some uh, related material, I feel like almost every possible projection gets made onto redheads, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, stereotypes about us. You know, there's, there's the red-haired vixen which I think we've all probably seen, you know, whether it's like Joan from Mad Men or if you're looking at even Jessica Rabbit, just kind of like iconic sex pot there. Right. Um, You know, that I think ties into a couple of things. Red has a lot of psychological implications. You know, there have been studies that show that the color red just increases your heart rate. It's obviously the color of passion. And, you know, throughout history, we've seen redheads kind of depicted in a sexual way in the art world as well. Um, but, you know, for me, like, especially growing up, I grew up with a couple of characters who influenced how people treated me, which was, I don't know if you ever saw American Pie, but there was Michelle in American Pie who was kind of like, she, she you know, takes a flute and, and does some things with that. Talks mm. about that in the movie. Um, there was Gloria in Wedding Crashers, who's really sex-crazed. And, and for me, that really materialized especially in high school when people were like, oh, I bet you're like that girl from American Pie. You know, I had a couple of guys say that to me or just kind of assume that I would be crazy in bed because of things that they had seen in pop culture or depictions of redheads they had seen there. Um, but, you know, the other thing that I got as a as a female was the fiery redhead mm-hmm. trope, which, you know, can be good and bad. Um we see that a lot in pop culture. I think of always like Rose and Titanic. She's so fiery. Or, you know, you play that clip of Egret from mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. Total, total fiery redhead. Um, and I think that stems a lot, too, from the psychological implications of, of that color. You know, it's the color of anger. We, we get red in the face. People say that they're seeing red. And if you look at our kind of like historical ancestors, too, we've got some some angry people in history, like King Henry VIII, for example. <laughs> he was he was definitely a fiery redhead. Um, and I think a lot of redheads will will kind of claim that fiery trope and, and use it for their own purposes. I know that I have. 
uh, to get oh, out. Oh, I certainly <laughs> have as well. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a, a bully at my village school in Suffolk. I mean, every village school has a bully, and he picked on a friend of mine, and I blacked his eye. And I got away with it on the grounds that I was a redhead. So if he teased someone who was a friend of mine, what on earth did he expect? It was kind right. of telling, looking back on it, that he didn't tease me. But yeah, yeah, you know, and it's not a stereotype now that I would use without feeling guilty about using it. But yeah. uh, it is definitely yeah. there. I hate to say it, but there is a, a scientific basis for the fiery redhead as well. The um, the business of being a redhead is much more than just skin or hair deep. One of the oddities of your um, your chemistry, if you're a redhead, is that your cells can produce you can produce adrenaline much more quickly than people with other hair colours, and your cells can take it up much more quickly as well. So this stereotype of the fiery redhead may actually have some scientific basis behind it. Uh, I want to uh, come back in our second segment to more of the scientific parts of being a redhead. But I'm also going to ask both of you, and Jackie, I'll start with you. Do you think redheaded men are understood differently? Aaron just kind of ran through some vixen stereotypes and fiery redhead stereotypes. Uh, and the fiery stuff maybe can apply to men. But are redheaded men, uh, Jackie, understood differently? Yeah, I think they are. This is one of the things that I um, was very, very interested in in my book on the history of the redhead is the fact that it's so gendered as a stereotype. I think it's unique in being so gendered in that women get the more positive attributes, if you can call being a, a, a sex symbol an attribute. I mean, we know what Marilyn Monroe had to say about being a symbol and uh, she was, in fact, it looks as if her original hair colour was red. Her mother was certainly a redhead. And there are some very early photographs of Marilyn Monroe as a redhead. And she was very, very acute on the difference between being perceived as a person and being perceived as a symbol. But where men are concerned, they have these two very, very unpleasant stereotypes. One is the barbarian tribes encountered around the Black Sea by the ancient Greeks and Romans, who do seem to have had a lot of redheads amongst them. And the other is the figure of Judas, which has snarled up the whole business of having red hair, in particular being a redheaded man, with anti-Semitism and Europe in particular's horrible history of persecution against the Jews. I'm glad you pointed that out. And it's sort of a weird thing because I don't think necessarily people often make that assumption. Um, on a less dire front, Aaron, there's another way in which, and you write about this in the book, that uh, redheaded men in culture are, it's sort of the Ron Weasley phenomenon. You're a sidekick, right? You're kind of a right. flavoring that goes with the main dish. Right, the comic relief redhead, that's what I call them. <laughs> um, you know, I, I spoke to some people about this, just where that came from, because we see so many funny redheads, um, and a lot of redheads who are kind of treated, yeah, as you said, as the sidekick. So, you know, we think of people like Conan O'Brien or Lucille Ball, Kathy Griffin, Ron Weasley, one of my favorite redheads. Um, and that seems to be stemming from the 20th century. Uh, there was a big influx of Irish immigrants, and in clowning culture, actually, they, you know, in order to be seen in the big circus tents, right, they needed to wear very brightly colored wigs. Red is obviously a very bright color, um, and they would often play on things that were happening in the world. So, in the early 20th century, with this influx of immigrants, they would often, you know, portray the clown as an immigrant and kind of 
put them against something more nuanced, like a big city, like coming to a big city, right? So it's no surprise that those clowns had Irish surnames. There's Emmett Kelly. Ronald McDonald chose to do his name spelled in the Irish way instead of the Scottish way. <laughs> um, and, you know, that has held true. Uh, I think redheads are given a lot of license, too. I, I know I was to be funny because you're being made fun of so much that you have to figure out ways to deal with that. And a lot of that is is developing a sense of humor and getting people to laugh with you instead of at you. So I I think as a redhead, yeah, it can actually as be a Ed positive. Sheeran has said, being a redhead makes you very quick-witted. I think he's right on that. But <laughs> you know, the red-headed clown also goes back to the stereotypes of ancient Greece. Clowns in Greek right. theatre yeah. were frequently the barbarian characters, and they would have been played wearing a red wig. Mm. This whole thing has uh, had the uh, unexpected effect of exciting sympathy in me for Carrot Top, uh, which I didn't <laughs> think was quite possible. But anyway, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the science of this. Let's, uh, we'll have these two wonderful guests when we come back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. We're back. We're talking about redheaded people or gingers, although I want to get to that because there's a, a linguistic question that I have here. Uh, our guests are Aaron LaRosa, former writer for BuzzFeed, a creator of the blog Side of Ginger, an author of the big redhead book Inside the Secret Society of Red Hair, and Jackie Acalas Harvey, uh, writer, editor, and author of the book Red, A History of the Redhead. So um, I want to ask both of you uh, about this because you may have different takes on it, too. Um, uh, first of all, we should say that, and Jackie, I'll start with you on this. My sense is that the term ginger was uh, a term that existed in, in Britain and maybe the, the entire UK and, and, and Ireland, too, a long time before it made its way over here. I don't remember. I had a, knew a lot of redheaded kids when I was growing up. Nobody called them gingers. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think you're absolutely right there. I think it has become more widely applied to gingers or ginger redheaded characters from the, the 1950s onwards. So there was a comic called Archie, which I think may have mm -hmm. had a lot to do with it. Right. Uh, but it's uh, it's a 
it's a term that comes from in its application to redheads i think first of all from the fact that from the the spice ginger which is hot in the mouth and mm -hmm. so sits alongside some of the associations there are with red hair it also comes from um cockfighting which is not a particularly good place for any word to trace its way back to but uh, you you would ginger up a cockerel to get it to fight fiercely and uh, there was also a particular sort of cockfighting cockerel called a ginger. <laughs> so, you know, it's got interesting antecedents, but I'm not sure that they're the more historical ones are necessarily particularly good. So, um, Aaron, in that infamous uh, South Park um, uh, broadcast, uh, actually, the, the Cartman, I think, is the person doing the, this paper about gingers. And he actually makes a distinction. He says, he says gingers are people with red hair, light skin and freckles, as opposed to all the other people who could conceivably have red hair. But I guess I find myself wondering whether ginger, is it kind of like the N word? Is it kind of like a word that maybe it's okay for, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't be saying, hey, what up, my ginger, uh, if I'm right. not one? <laughs> There's this great um, Tim Mention song called uh, Only, a, you know, it's called Prejudice, and, and there's a line that says, only a ginger can call another ginger ginger. And, um, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a believer in that, only because when I was growing up, and Jackie may have had a totally different experience, but ginger was often used as a slur, as like a bad thing when people said it, like, oh, well, you're a ginger, mm -hmm kind of in a negative way. So for me, like I can call my, and I, you know, have redhead friends like Jackie, I can call Jackie a ginger and I feel okay about that. But, ginger sister. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's right. But I don't know if I want someone else calling me a ginger unless I really know them and I know it's coming from a, a good place because I have such negative associations with it. Um, and maybe kids growing up today, it's maybe a little different, but I know for me, it's, it was used as a slur for mm -hmm. me, um, just like a negative thing growing up. I will, first yeah. of all, I will refrain from using I agree. Using it. I, I think that um, I err on the side of only a ginger can call another ginger ginger, for sure. Right. And usually when I heard it in my childhood, it was said with this kind of snotty tone of voice. I'm not going to say ginger, please, uh, from now on then. Um, all right. So um, let's talk a little bit about the science of this and the demographics of it. Jackie, I'm going to start with you. What percentage of the people in the world uh, are uh, redheaded people? As a rough average, 2% of the population of the planet. Hmm. It goes up and down from one country to another. Ireland and Scotland have about 13 to 15%. Hmm. And and so, um, Aaron, I suppose one concern that people might have is if this really does represent a burden that one carries around in life, although, I mean, I think we can make the argument that it's pretty double-edged. Jackie uh, immediately missed uh, the attention she got when she cut her hair short. Um, but people might select out of this as they begin become more and more able in vitro to make choices uh, about aspects of their baby's genotype. Is that a worry in the redheaded community? Well, weirdly, um, since, since you mentioned that, there actually was a sperm bank, I believe it was in Denmark. Is that right, Jackie? That, yeah, um, Bryos International. Absolutely right. right yeah. They um, stopped accepting redhead donations. <laughs> what? And um, they cited, like, lack of popularity with, um, with their clientele for, for getting redheads. But uh, what I did read about that, too, was that, 
you know, there are other countries where redheads are still in demand, um, where people want redheads. It just happens that in Denmark, apparently they don't. Um, but well, there, they didn't been a lot at of... that point. But um, Denmark, being one of these wonderful liberal Scandinavian countries, Cryos have actually started looking positively for some donations from redheaded sperm donors now, because there are gay couples are having children through in vitro fertilization. And if one of the gay couple is a redhead, then they want to have a redheaded child to create that sort of visual link within the family. I think redheads are having a bit of a moment currently, to be honest. Yeah, and, actually you know, there was this now. myth for years that redheads were going to go extinct. Although right. maybe only 2% of the population of the planet is an actual redhead, it's been estimated that maybe 40% of the planet are carrying the redheaded gene without knowing it. Mm. So it would take quite something before there was any dip in our numbers. I, I think I agree with the moment. I, I and I, you know, I mentioned Nicole Kidman uh, and Christina Hendricks. I left out Jessica Chastain. I mean, if they're only two percent yeah. of the planet, they certainly yeah. they, they sort of disproportionately represented among the acknowledged great beauties of this planet. Yeah, yeah, right. we're pretty visible. There is a, a theory which I find very convincing and quite fascinating that red was actually the first color we ever learned to recognize when we were all still living up in the trees because it enabled us to tell ripe fruit from unripe. So we're really hardwired to react to this color. It's why you find so many redheads in adver in adverts as well. Um, right. There actually was a 2014 study that showed that 30% of TV commercials that ran during primetime featured a redhead prominently, wow. which is a lot when yeah. you're thinking there about There you go. So, Aaron, let's get a little bit into the biology of this. Um, uh, there actually are some things that are true. For example, my, I'm not redheaded. My doctor is after me all the time to make sure I take uh, vitamin D supplements. Uh, I gather that doesn't happen so much to you. Yeah. I mean, we actually, as redheads, we don't need as much sun to make vitamin D. So they think that's part to do with evolution and, and us, you know, migrating toward climates that were cloudy European places. So we developed the ability to create our own vitamin D in the body, kind of like survival of the fittest. And uh, when we do go outside, we're able to produce more vitamin D in a shorter amount of time than other hair colors, which is just like a fun superpower. So in Aaron, my Aaron, yeah, Aaron, let's do another one. I was at the dentist and he said this thing to me that he says sometimes he goes, all right, because I want, I want to just sort of experiment a little bit here. Uh, I, I want to know whether this, whether I, what, what I'm doing is within your pain threshold or whether I need to give you uh, a, a, some anesthesia. And I felt like saying, I can already tell you, <laughs> give me some anesthesia, <laughs> give me some Novocaine. But, um, mm -hmm. but, but this is a slightly different equation, Aaron, with, once again, with redheaded people. That's right. Yeah. Redheads actually require more Novocaine at the dentist. I think any redhead could probably tell you that. I mean, for me, I have to get my entire mouth numbed up so that I don't feel anything. Um, and we also require, you know, more anesthesia during surgery. Uh, so we have this mutated MC1R gene that is likely the cause for that. But um, but yeah, if you're a redhead and you're going to the dentist, you better let them know you're going to need some more Novocaine. Hopefully they are already know. So Jackie, and we, t we talk about all this, and I think you alluded to it in the first segment, uh, it might seem like, well, I think most people... They make kind of a cultural mental assignment to redheadedness, but redheadedness is a, um, a recessive genetic trait, right? It, and it has a genetic, I mean, as a gene specifically associated with it, correct? Yeah, there is. Yes. 
Yes, it is. As Erin says, it's the MC1R gene. It is recessive. So both your parents have to be carrying the gene before a redheaded baby can result. But because it's recessive, if your parents have got one copy of this gene and one copy of a dominant gene, then they can be carrying the redheaded gene without knowing that they are at all. My father had dark brown hair, very dark brown. And my mother is blonde. And they were absolutely astonished when this redheaded baby suddenly appeared. They had no idea where it came from at all. There were lots of myths in my family to account for it. My grandmother had this saying that God gives a woman red hair for the same reason he gives a wasp stripes, which is, you know, an explanation I kind of like. (laughs) I'm not sure I know why wasps have stripes. Oh, you know, it's a sort of a warning. Oh, okay. Watch it. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So, um, yeah, there. You know, Aaron, that thing, that like, uh, that where did he or she come from thing? I actually remember it from the movie Rushmore. Bill Murray has these uh, twin sons who are redheaded wrestlers, uh, and they don't. That, I mean, they seem temperamentally completely distinct from him too. But I think he says at some point in the movie, I don't know where they came from. I'm not even sure they're mine. Yeah. yeah. And there were, you know, if you look back at, at beliefs that people had, you know, like there was this Romanian belief that if you had red hair, you'd come back as a vampire after you died. Um, people, you know, felt that if you were born a redhead, um, that maybe you were marked by the devil. And I think that has a lot to do with not understanding where redheads come from, because if you are a parent that doesn't have red hair and you all of a sudden get this beautiful redhead, you might be like, oh, what happened here? Doesn't yeah, look like me. I, think I know that's that my parents right. were very. Yeah, my parents were very surprised too. Same as Jackie. My dad <laughs> is very dark haired. My mom is blonde. My mom, when she had me, said, "Where did this come from?" She had no idea. You know, my brother, who for all we know is also carrying the gene, is blonde. He has six mm-hmm. children, and not one of them is a redhead yet. And I've told him he can't stop until he gives me another redheaded <laughs> nephew or niece in the family. You know, we're going to take a break. We've got one more segment here to go. We'll be right back. So listen to me if you care for your health. You won't call me ginger unless you ginger yourself. Only a ginger can call another ginger ginger. When you are a ginger, life is pretty hard. Years of ritual bullying in the schoolyard. Kids calling your ranger and fan of pants. No invitation to the high school dance, but you get up and learn to hold your head up. You try to keep your cool and not get head up. We're coming down the home stretch here of our show about redheadedness. We hope we have done something to dispel prejudices and, and negative ideas. With us is still Aaron LaRosa, former writer for BuzzFeed, creator of the blog Side of Ginger, and author of the Big Redhead Book, Inside the Secret Society of Red Hair. Aaron, I had heard the thing about uh, redheads being more difficult to, to sedate uh, or to anesthetize. Um, I hadn't heard the thing about uh, sensing temperature changes uh, until oh, I yeah. saw it. Yeah, isn't that fun? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I- you know, I guess a lot of redheads probably know this already to be true. And uh, the thing is that we can detect changes in temperature more keenly than ever anyone else. So if it's getting cold, we'll know right away. So we'll know if winter is coming. If it's getting <laughs> hot, we'll also know. We're kind of like the groundhogs of the human world. That's what I like to say. Of course, that thing yeah, about winter is also because we're all basically wildings, aren't we? So, you know, we would right. know. 
Yeah, we would now. Well, you know, the Wildings, and for people who don't watch Game of Thrones, the Wildings are these characters. I call them crypto Vikings, but it's maybe a little bit more than this. I happen to, I did 23andMe, and I have like the most boring genotype in the world. I was really disappointed, except that I, I skew a little bit high in Neanderthal genes, which I'm really excited about, but, appar- but apparently not high enough to be redheaded. So I don't know which one of you knows more about this. You both seem to know everything about being redheaded. <laughs> but what, is there an actual Neanderthal redheadedness, arguable there connection? There were redheaded Neanderthals, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they would was, have done um... better in Northern Europe than their darker-skinned Neanderthal cousins. But unfortunately, yeah. the gene that produced red hair in Neanderthals is different to the one that produces red hair today. More's That's the right. pity. It would be so cool to say, you know, I have Neanderthal genes and this proves it. But they, yeah. they have found, you know, these Neanderthals in Spain and in Italy that, that had that mutated MC1R gene. But like Jackie said, it's it's not our gene. It's not the redhead gene that we have today. Right. And, and you know, I mean, you know, we began the show uh, with a clip, of, among other things, uh, of Igret uh, saying, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. There's a way in which uh, I think redheaded people are sometimes characterized as having access to maybe certain other kinds of knowledge. I mean, she says it again and again, and what she's, I think, saying is, I am connected to a deeper set of mysteries than you are. You're basically kind of looking at what's in front. I mean, Jon Snow's not very smart anyway, but um, <laughs> but that's another issue. But I mean, there's a way in which he, he can only really see what's in front of him. And uh, I don't know, that, I guess maybe part of that, where did you come from, redheaded person, may connect a little bit to a sense of mystery? Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I think a lot of people, when they look at us especially, they want to know more about us because it's, I think, being different means that that there is something about you that people don't understand and and you can't understand unless you're a redhead. So I definitely agree. This is how prejudice and discrimination work. They sort of glom together around one characteristic. But you do have to remember the character of Lilith, Adam's first wife from the Bible, has traditionally been depicted as a redhead and was always supposed to be a sorceress with these unearthly powers. So... That may have something to do with it as well. Hey, Aaron, one thing that we know scientifically is that uh, if you get a whole bunch of redheads redheads together, as opposed to getting a whole bunch of people like me together, your group is going to smell better. Is that true, Aaron? That is true. There was actually a doctor in the 1800s, Dr. Augustin Gallatin, who had this theory that it, that your hair color determined how you would smell. So he studied three women, a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead. Sounds like a, the beginning of a joke, <laughs> it but does. it's not. And his theory, that, and what he found was that, you know, redheads smelled like violets. And he's not totally wrong because actually scent is different on redheads. Everyone has this thing called a skin mantle, which is, you know, you can't see it, but it's on the top of your skin and it prevents bacteria from getting in. And for redheads, ours is slightly more acidic. So when you put any kind of scent on us, it's going to smell differently and arguably better, I think, than on everyone else's skin. All right. So thanks to, very much to both of you and to Jackie Collis Harvey, uh, writer, editor, author of the book, Red, A History of the Redhead. Jackie, it's so great to talk to you. And you too. All and right. great to talk to Erin as well. Bye, Jackie. Erin LaRosa. Her book is the big redhead book inside the Secret Society of Red Hair. You got it. If you have red hair and you don't have this book, I don't know what's going on, actually. Okay, that's our show. And thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow unless, for some reason, we, we don't show up. Although my heart is falling too I'm in love with your body Last night you were in my room And now my bitches smell like you Every day discovering something brand new 
I'm in love with your body. Come on, be my baby. Come on now. Oh, I'm in love with your body. Oh, I'm in love with your body. Oh, I'm in love with your body. Every day discovering something brand new. I'm in love with the shape of you.